the representation, it's not just about having sort of a census on screen of, of how many Muslims are really in America or how many Muslims are in the world, but it's also about undoing the centuries of dangerous and problematic tropes that we have all been socialized into, causing not only hatred of other folks, but internalized Islamophobia and internalized oppression from our communities, particularly children. And so I guess my encouragement to all of us would be to ask ourselves, who are you outside of the bounds of xenophobia and Islamophobia and racism? And as soon as we start to ask ourselves that, it's going to free us to imagine a better world, but also to imagine better stories. It'll give us the opportunity to say, I have another story inside me and I want to share it. So I think once we start to move away from that dichotomy of the good Muslim, bad Muslim and just ask what could a Muslim be that folks have not gotten the opportunity to see before. We've got a real opportunity to do something game-changing. Raise your hand if you grew up believing that you wanted to be Jasmine from Aladdin, only to realize that this movie was perpetuating Orientalist stereotypes of the Middle East and Asia. Keep your hand raised if you're exhausted with the idea that being Muslim and being accepted by society are mutually exclusive. Don't you think it's time that we deserve more accurate portrayals of Muslims in media? You're listening to Unsween and Unfiltered, the podcast, episode 20 of season 3. If you've caught yourself holding your breath when you've seen a Muslim cross your television screens, you're not alone. You're silently hoping that this Muslim character won't be portrayed as the villain, the terrorist, or someone who is oppressed and needs to be detached from their faith if they want to be accepted by others. Frankly, we are tired of these negative tropes and stereotypes that have been overdone for decades now. Let Muslims tell you who we are rather than telling you what we're not by constantly playing defense. These are the words of Rij Makati, today's special guest, and someone who I've been vocal about when it comes to how much I admire her and how many doors she has opened for herself and the rest of us as she continues to challenge these roadblocks and stereotypes. Recently, Riz Ahmed, with the help from Pillars Fund, USC Annenberg, and the Ford Foundation, have unveiled the blueprint for Muslim inclusion in media and the arts. Over 90% of films from 2017 to 2019 were missing Muslim characters. That's 181 out of 200 films that had no Muslim representation at all. In today's episode, Arij explains how the erasure of Muslim filmmakers behind and in front of the camera means that countless of stories go untold. She dives into what representation actually means and why it's so important. We discuss how the lack of positive and accurate portrayals of Muslims is directly linked to horrific Islamophobic attacks on our Muslim communities and so much more. Arij and her peers are excited to announce what can be done to change the narrative. And it all starts with the Muslim Visibility Challenge and the Pillars Artist Fellowship just to name a few of the initiatives that are currently unfolding. Thank you once again to Arij, Pillars Fund, Riz Ahmed, and the many others who are working tirelessly on this initiative. I am so incredibly honored to have Arij join us today to discuss the building blocks of a brighter future for Muslim creatives. Let's dive in. Thank you so much for joining me, Arij. This is not your first go around on the podcast, but I'm really excited to talk to you about Muslim representation. I feel like this is a conversation that needs to be had now more than ever, to be honest. But for our listeners who are new to the podcast, can you please reintroduce yourself and we can get right into it, inshallah. Absolutely. And thanks, Dunya, for having me again. It is always a pleasure to talk to you and you're you're so thoughtful. So thanks for the opportunity to share some of my work in this space. So my name is Arij Mikalti. I am the managing director of Culture Change at an organization called Pillars Fund. Uh, Pillars Fund is an organization that seeks to amplify the leadership, narratives, and talents of Muslims in the United States. And we do that in a couple ways. The first way is by grant making and supporting civic leaders uh, that are building political power for Muslims and, you know, making social change as social entrepreneurs. And the other way is the work that I lead at Pillars, which is through culture change, storytelling, and altering the dominant problematic narratives that currently exist about Muslims to one that is authentic, nuanced, honest, and led by Muslims ourselves. So that is what I am really privileged to do. And it is just truly an honor to be able to do that work every day. 
Thank you so much, honestly, for all the work that you do at Age. I've told you this before, Walla Mashallah, I truly admire all the work that you do and the organizations that you work for and work with. And, you know, we were just talking about last week, Muslim representation. And of course, uh, recently, what we've seen happening in Canada, it was very unfortunate. You know, not just unfortunate, but it was very horrific. And, you know, a lot of people don't right away tie this back to the Muslim representation that we see in media. And it truly does have a connection. There is a connection there. And I really want to obviously talk about that. But I first want to talk about us. Like, you and I, when we were growing up, did we ever see ourselves being, you know, represented in media as Muslims? Like for me, the only thing that I can think of, which is pretty problematic, is Aladdin. And that's just the only thing that I felt like I could hold on to tightly in my childhood that I felt like I was being seen. But growing up, I realized like, no, that's not correct representation. So did you ever feel represented in any shows or cartoons when you were growing up? You know, I did not at all. I I think that what you shared is so interesting. I was just having a conversation with a friend yesterday about how we all had such a hunger to be seen and recognized and identified that like Muslim girls were all about being Jasmine, right? (laughs) Not, Not necessarily because she was a role model for us or was an accurate portrayal of us or even, you know, she's got, she doesn't even have like a real ethnic background, right? It's this made up place that is just this Orientalist conglomeration of the quote unquote East. Uh, We don't even really know where they are. And, you know, I think it's just, it just goes to show you like the, the incredible hunger that children have to be seen, to be recognized. And it's, it's unfortunate that, you know, even today, I know we're going to talk about this a little later, but even today that hunger is still there. Children really want to feel like they belong and that their identity matters. It's truly a shame. Um, And I think, you know, what you said about what the events that happened in Canada, you know, God rest their souls, I'll lay it home home. It's more than unfortunate, right? It's not, it's not just an unfortunate accident that happened. People don't just wake up one day and decide to kill Muslims for no reason. And when they are only seeing the portrayals that we are most accustomed to that relate us to violence, that show us only existing in other places, foreign places, or that we are quote unquote seen as invaders to the West, that actually has a significant effect. So I would say, you know, it's even more than unfortunate. I think it's the result of essentially a propaganda campaign against Muslims in the West. And I feel like when we talk about representations, can you say like, oh, we see more shows portraying Muslims? Yes, there is a rise of shows portraying Muslims. But again, there is a statistics that shows that studies have shown that less than 10% of top grossing films from 2017 to 2019 had Muslims on screen. When we talk about representation, what does representation truly mean to you? How do we define representation? Because you can't just put a Muslim on screen, put a hijab on her and say, here you guys go. You guys are being represented. That's not accurate representation whatsoever. That's right. And, you know, I would I would also just give the background that the study you're referring to is a study that Pillars worked on with the USC Annenberg Inclusion Initiative for the last couple of years. And uh, we looked at the 200 top grossing films in New Zealand, the UK, Australia and the United States. And that really allowed us to, for the first time ever, uh, have a quantitative analysis of what we all as Muslims already qualitatively know. Right. It's it's not a surprise. Like none of us looked at the report and we're like, oh my God, I can't believe it. We're not being done justice to, you know, like, of course it wasn't a surprise, but I do think it's incredibly important to have that data because unfortunately as people of color, it's what validates us into the wider industry to say, we actually have the proof to show you that you're not doing us justice. You're not giving us the opportunity to tell our stories. And not only did less than 10% of the top grossing films have a Muslim on screen, but less than 2% of the characters overall in those 200 films that were Muslim had a speaking role. So what that is telling you is that when we identify Muslims, they're usually these faceless, voiceless attackers or victims of violence. They are usually completely irrelevant to the plot of the story. They are usually not seen as full people and instead used as props to sort of illustrate where we are in the world rather than, you know, like a tree, like, oh, an evergreen tree. I must be, you know, in the mountains. Exactly. Like that, that is really like how we've been used. And it is just so unfortunate. That is, you know, the representation that we've been seeing. And so when we talk about Muslim portrayal on screen, like you said, yes, there has been a little bit of an increase. And I, you know, we owe it to folks like Nida Mansour, who just created the show, We Are Lady Parts on Peacock about a punk band led by Muslim women, 
which is an incredible idea. We owe it to folks like Rami who, you know, have trailways and shown that Muslim people on screen can earn audiences far wider than the Muslim community itself. We've got these folks that are trailblazing, but the exceptions don't change the rule. And what we're really wanting to do at Pillars, and, and I know we'll talk a little more about this later, is figure out how we can change the rule. I think that the representation, it's not just about having sort of a census on screen of, of how many Muslims are really in America or how many Muslims are in the world, but it's also about undoing the centuries of dangerous and problematic tropes that we have all been socialized into, causing not only hatred of other folks, but internalized Islamophobia and internalized oppression from our communities, particularly children. You know, this brings me back to how every time you know that there's going to be some form of misrepresentation in a show, I always hold my breath because I'm like, oh, what negative trope or negative stereotype are they going to depict? And, you know, for me, why I felt Rami was so refreshing. Again, you might not see yourself in Rami. Not everybody's going to see themselves in that show, but hence why it is called Rami. I, I found that show to be interesting because I felt like for once, like you have actors and actresses who happen to be Muslim, who happen to share their identity struggles, their faith struggles that we all have from time to time. So this is why I thoroughly enjoyed watching Rami because of the nuances, because of the different roles that were being portrayed. You know, I really want to kind of get into connecting the dots. There is an undeniable link between the rise of Islamophobia and the negative portrayal of Muslims in media in general. Like you can't, we can't deny that. And we just mentioned what happened, unfortunately, and horrifically. And all of the families that were taken away from us too soon because of these negative stereotypes that are basically linked to the way policies are being made, the way that the world views Muslims. What are your thoughts on that? And I really want to hone in on this because I, I really want people to see the seriousness between the links of how we're being represented and what's actually happening in the real world because of how we're being represented. Yeah, I, I think what you're saying about Rami and the pressure that people put on shows is actually a result of the scarcity of how many portrayals we have. So again, just like when we were kids, we were so excited and and clamoring to just identify with Jasmine because she was all we had. Th is the same pressure and scarcity that we're putting on the shows that are now the exceptions to the rule that we see today. We want these shows to do everything in one show for all of us, even though 1.8 billion Muslims exist in the world, which means there are 1.8 billion ways to be a Muslim. And the truth is, not every show is going to capture all those 1.8 billion ways. You're actually just making such a great argument for why we actually need more Muslim representation. Because if we have more and more shows that show more of the 1.8 billion ways to be a Muslim, we won't be so uh, reliant on one show to do everything for us. So I think we have a real opportunity to, you know, increase the abundance of stories from the abundance of talent that exists in our communities, which will undoubtedly limit the incredible pressure and, and, and impossible expectations that we have that we're putting on all these shows to be everything to all of us. I'm somebody who, again, maybe not everybody likes this, but I like watching Sex in the City. Of course, their casting is problematic too, but I don't like watching Friends. But it's because I have a plethora of options and I'm not a white woman. So right. imagine being a white woman, like she can say, mm, I'm not, I don't see myself in Friends. I'd rather watch Sex in the City. We don't have that. So to put all that pressure on, on shows like Rami and other upcoming like Muslim-led shows, it's not right. And as a community, I think we need to support these Muslim creators as much as we can. I think we're, inshallah, moving in the right direction, especially because of the initiative that you're working on that we're going to get into. But again, like the idea of connecting these dots when we are looking at the problematic shows, the ones that do portray us as terrorists or do portray us as oppressed women. You know, recently, Riz Ahmed in his 2019 speech, he said something and he's so powerful. And I really want to quote him. He said, the representation of Muslims on screen feeds the policies that get enacted, the people that get killed, the countries that get invaded. And I was like, somebody had to say it. And I'm so glad he finally said that. Yeah, we're working with Riz Ahmed pretty closely at Pillars, and he's just, I just want to give a shout out to him. He's been so involved in every level of what we've been doing, and he's just been such a champion for not only, you know, a champion for himself, because it, it also affects him directly, and it's a fight that he's been fighting, but it's been really cool to see the way that he's also been such a champion for other people. That piece I said earlier about how exceptions don't change the rules is actually something that Riz said 
in our work together. He said, you know, I'm an exception and I don't want to be a rare case. And the exception doesn't change the rules. And if I'm the exception to the rule, then what must the rule be? And so this is really not about making micro changes, but we're trying to figure out how can we make macro systemic level changes that will actually allow a plethora and abundance of our community that we know the talent exists in to be really successful and allow them to share their stories. And by the way, those stories don't have to just be about being Muslim. Like, we can exist in other ways. What is the Muslim sci-fi like? I'm such a sci-fi geek. I would love to see <laughs> that. that. What is the Muslim rom-com? What is the Muslim heist movie? You know, like I, I want all those things. What's the Muslim Fast Nine? Like, like I'm gonna what, see that yeah. Can we be anything but but being Muslim? Like it's okay to be Muslim. That's great. But can we be hired because we're just amazing actors and actresses, and not because like oh checkbox they're Muslim? Let's have them on screen. Right. You exactly. Know? Exactly. And I think you know to go back to what you said, I, I think Riz is exactly right. The representation of Muslims on screen does feed the policies that get enacted, the people that get killed in the countries that get invaded. Funnily enough, I don't know if you know this, but there was a poll, probably, I, I don't know, the, don't quote me on that. I mean, you might quote me on this because it's a <laughs> podcast, but um, I think it was three or four years ago, there was a poll that showed the GOP voters were asked if we should bomb Agrabah, which is a fake oh, place in Aladdin. <laughs> yeah, which is a fake place in Aladdin and not given any other context and like the, I think the majority of them said, yeah, we should bomb Agrabah, which again, what like that doesn't even that's not a place that exists. And so it just goes to show you that even something that is so subtly inserted into our brains by Orientalist ideals and frankly, propaganda that is meant to support the military industrial complex, the carceral state, etc., are fed through these negative portrayals that we are just socialized into. You know, I think that things like the Muslim ban don't just happen overnight. Things like one in three Americans supporting the Muslim ban don't just happen overnight. It's proven that when young people see a negative portrayal of a Muslim, um, they immediately feel afraid, like this is a person that they don't feel safe around, is a risk to them, etc. And when they're shown a positive portrayal of a Muslim, they feel the exact opposite. It's really not rocket science. Our study found that over 70% of the Muslim characters identified in the top 200 grossing films from 2017 to 2019 were either perpetrators of or victims of violence, which means the primary lens that people are seeing Muslims through is violence. What does that do to a community? What does that do to a community when you either uh, expect someone to be a victim, which by the way, when you're seeing that over and over and over again, really numbs you and desensitizes you to the pain, the real, actual, physical, financial, emotional pain of a community, or they're the perpetrators of it. So it's really no surprise that so many people can back, a, you know, a demagogue like Trump and his ideas about who belongs in this country and who is a risk to it. So I think we have a real opportunity to change that. And I think Riz is absolutely right. You brought up so many incredible, incredible points that I really want to underscore at each. And just even recently, like with uh, the movements uh, behind Palestine and what's going on, there are Palestinian activists that are receiving like DMs saying, well, you guys started 9-11 and this and then you guys are horrible people. Like, how do you link Palestinians to 9-11? Like because right. of movies like this, because of people like Trump and what they're saying, and because of the negative stereotypes, like we're talking about a movement all the way in Palestine, people that are being ethnically cleansed and these people that are supporting Israel and supporting Zionists are bringing up the idea of 9-11 and that's all they see. When they think of us, that's all they see. But they don't even realize that there are a majority of Christian Palestinians living in Palestine. It's not just Muslims, but all that's they right. see is our skin tone and they assume that, you know, we are all terrorists and whatnot. You know, it made me think of like just us Muslims being othered, just in general, in media and television, we're always being othered. And what I mean by that is pro-American person, you look at us like they are the enemy of the West or the enemy of the US. We don't want to deal with people like that. And that's how we're being othered. And if we're not being othered, we're being looked at from a lens of us wanting to deviate from our faith so badly in order to be accepted. So what does that do to young kids that are watching these shows and these movies and whatnot that they are not accepted as who they are? You have to also remove any traces of your faith in order to be accepted. It's a shame. It's a real shame. It's essentially like a cultural genocide that is happening in our minds. It's a reprogramming that 
I think is att- is attempted to be done. You know, you, you bring up so many good points. I will say not only does it affect, you know, Muslim children internally, which I'll start to get to, but ISPU, the Institute for Social Policy and Understanding, which is a really amazing organization that is a Pillars Fund grantee that does incredible research on Muslims in the United States. They did a study on bullying and they found that, you know, that the Muslim kids in school that are currently going to school in the United States are the most likely kids to be bullied. So they're also getting this external pressure, not just from the narratives that they're seeing, but then it's being reinforced by the actual physical real pressure that they experience every day going to school. And when you want to protect yourself from that kind of emotional and physical violence, of course, you're going to shrink those parts of yourself. We've already talked about the ways that it's been life or death for many people, but this is genuinely life and death for our kids as well. I, I Not to be dramatic, but I truly, truly believe that we have to be able to protect our children. And I know that storytelling is one of the ways that we can do that. I genuinely believe in storytelling as that engine for social change. You you know, brought up this piece around what we're seeing on screen with the good Muslim, bad Muslim trope. The bad Muslim is one, religious and practicing, like physically religious and practicing. You can see them praying, them dressed a certain way, et cetera. And then those people are often the most commonly tied to violence. And those people are also the most commonly tied to being stuck in another time, anti-modern, not situated here in the United States, et cetera. Then you've got the good Muslim trope. The good Muslim is often someone who is very well assimilated. Oftentimes they're actually an FBI agent, right? They're like, well, I'm serving my country. So that's the good portrayal of Muslims is I'm serving my country by actually participating in the carceral state that seeks to oppress my own people. And that shows that I'm a real patriot. And those dichotomies are useless in the real world. As we know, there is a spectrum and not only a spectrum, but uh, different combinations and permutations of all of those things and, and many more that exist in reality. And it also pits people against one another in our communities by showing that you can only be either anti-American or pro-Muslim oppression, right? Like those are like the two options that we have. Uh, So I really think that the internalized oppression that it creates in us, even beyond what it's doing uh, to folks that could potentially be allies otherwise, is incredibly dangerous. We know that, you know, we have the right to fight for um, an America that we want to be part of, to learn from communities that are overlapping with ours and are part of our community. Like the largest demographic of Muslims in the United States is black. So we can learn from black communities and black Muslims that have been doing this work uh, to create an America that they want to be a part of, an America that's yet to be born. We can learn from Latinx communities. Latinx folks are the fastest growing Muslim population in the United States. We can learn from indigenous Muslims, both here and abroad, Palestinians, Native Americans, etc. We have a lot of allies and also belong to another to other communities that have really showed us uh, what is possible when we strip ourselves of the labels that are being put upon us. And so I guess my encouragement to all of us would be to ask ourselves, and if you have children, to ask your children, who are you outside of the bounds of xenophobia and Islamophobia and racism? Who are you outside of that? And as soon as we start to ask ourselves that, it's going to free us to imagine a better world, but also to imagine better stories. It'll give us the opportunity to say, I have another story inside me and I want to share it. So I think once we start to move away from that dichotomy of the good Muslim, bad Muslim and just ask, what could a Muslim be that, that folks have not gotten the opportunity to see before? Who am I on screen? We've got a real opportunity to do something game changing. That, that's such a great point that you brought up at each because it reminds me just like our identities, like we have, we're multifaceted. We come from different backgrounds. We have so many different identities from just being Palestinian myself or you're Lebanese and being a woman mm-hmm. and et cetera, et cetera. It's just interesting because I feel like I never got to define my identities for myself. It's like I was born into this world and it was almost like the, it was defined already for me by media. It tells me like what a Palestinian is, what a woman is, what it means to be a Muslim. Like, you know, the media tells us that being accepted and being Muslim are mutually exclusive 
inclusive boggles my mind how we we were able to navigate this world that told us our identity will never be accepted. It really dictates your behavior. I've said this in a previous episode before, like, honestly, our identity does dictate our behavior and how we move about this world. Yeah, I, I think that what you're getting into now is the idea of how oppression intersects when you have multiple marginalized identities. And that was something that our study also really looked at. So yes, we have 2% of characters that are that have speaking roles that are Muslim, which is wild, right? That is just wild on its own. But if you actually drill down more, you mentioned, you know, we're women. The women on screen are outnumbered. This actually shocked me. I did. I knew it would be true, but I didn't know it would be this high. We are outnumbered 175 to one on screen by men that are Muslim. So if you're a woman, you're definitely seeing even less than our brothers are. If you are LGBTQ, only one of those characters was LGBTQ. If you are disabled, only one of those characters out of the 9,000 something that we looked at were disabled. I mentioned to you earlier that in the United States, the largest demographic, about a third of Muslims are black. Despite the fact that a third of Muslims are black, uh, in reality, we only saw in the single digits the percentage of black Muslims that were portrayed on screen. So what you're getting into now is how if you have multiple marginalized identities, you're going to see less and less and less than even what we what the study found overall. And I think that's really important to know is that we have the opportunity also to uplift people who have these intersecting identities. And um, those are the stories that I'm excited about seeing. I honestly didn't even think of it that way. That's so true. Like the more identities that you hold and represent, the less and less you see yourself on screen. It's not just being Muslim. There's more to us as well. You know what I mean? Where do we come from? How do we identify gender wise? All that stuff. And then you get to see yourself less and less on, on, on the screen. How do we take back control of the narrative? What do we do? Do we need to have more Muslim creators in these rooms, creating these storylines? Do we need more actors, actresses? Do we not have? I mean, I know there's not a shortage of any of these things. So how do we take back control of the narrative then? What can we we do as a community? It's a great question. So I think, you know, what we have to acknowledge first is that often who is in charge of these storylines and representation right now are people who do not identify with the faith and also are not intimately acquainted with the faith in any way. So these are people who have decided to write a story where Muslims are essentially the supporting villains, right? <laughs> not even like supporting, just supporting villains, faceless, nameless, supporting villains that uh, we see. And oftentimes what happens now is that consultants that are Muslim or claim to be experts in Muslims, maybe don't identify as Muslims, but claim to be experts, are brought in at the end of a project to sort of give it a stamp of approval and say, uh, yeah, this is good. <laughs> good job. But what is not often done are two things. One, the easy, easy, easy fix that we can do like literally today is say, bring in Muslim consultants, multiple Muslim consultants with multiple identities and multiple areas of expertise from the beginning of your project so that it's not too late <laughs> at the end to say we want to make some major changes. And the second piece is Put Muslim creators in the driver's seat. That is, again, it's not rocket science. Put Muslim creators in the driver's seat. We know our stories best and we have the talent that exists in our communities. We take so many risks, particularly on in Hollywood, young white straight men that don't have necessarily the level of experience that most seasoned uh, folks have. And of course, you know, and I know that the more marginalized identities ha you have, the less opportunities to build that experience you have. Take more risks on Muslim creators. One thing, you know, I'm a creative consultant on the show, Rami. And one thing that I, I really am impressed with that Rami has done is he's built this ecosystem that's basically made his show a pipeline for talent. So he took risks on plenty of Muslim women that like and other folks that didn't have any credits really and had never written for TV and proved that because he was able to see that talent, that show can still win Golden Globes, that show can still be nominated for Emmys, that show can still be looked at for Peabody's, etc. I really think that he's proven that this model can work if you just give people a chance and take risks on them. So there are a couple ways that we're asking Hollywood to make changes. We, along with the report, it was really important to Pillars that we didn't just release a report and go, guess what, everybody? It's bad, just like you thought. <sighs> 
we we didn't want to just put this out into the world and say like, well, it's hopeless because I don't believe it's hopeless. I think this is the time to strike. The iron is hot. People have interest thanks to the incredible work of other communities that are overlapping with ours um, that I've already named previously, Black communities, Latinx communities, uh, Indigenous communities, LGBTQIA communities, et cetera, that have shown us how you can really effectively organize around making change in representation. We created a document um, that you can actually see on our website if you're if you're curious, it's available to the public. It is called the Blueprint for Muslim Inclusion. And the Blueprint for Muslim Inclusion includes several specific short, medium, and long-term recommendations for industry professionals by specialty. So it looks at everything from film festivals to studios, to agencies, to production companies, and tells them what they can do short, medium, and long-term to create change in this area and ensure that Muslims have the proper representation, the authentic representation, the nuanced representation that we deserve. The blueprint also includes the Muslim Visibility Challenge. The Muslim Visibility Challenge is what we are asking studios and production companies to to commit to publicly and take this challenge on in order to make what will create immediate change, like literally immediate change in the industry. And that is two things. It first asks production companies and studios to sunset terror tropes. So essentially, we're not asking them to cancel shows that they may have already bought and are, you know, in uh, production. But what we are asking them to do is to not buy another one. Don't shop another one. Don't make another one. And the reason for that is not only does it create a false persona for us as Muslims, as we've talked about, you know, at length at this point, but it also just flattens creativity and art. It's boring. It's been done so many times. We have so many other stories inside of us. So just sunset that. The second piece is to ask them to sign a first look deal with at least one Muslim creator in the next 18 months. If every company did this, we would immediately pretty much, I think, more than double the amount of Muslim creators that have a first look deal. Yeah, exactly. Within a year and a half. So that would allow us to really have the opportunity to say, let's put Muslim creators in the driver's seat, allow them to create beyond the terror genre and see what comes out. I guarantee that several of those are going to be winners. So we're really excited about the conversations that we've been having with some pretty major companies. We've got some great, great conversations going and it's been really genuinely a delightful surprise to me to see how willing they are to say, yeah, we're interested in taking this challenge. So I'm feeling very hopeful. That shows that not only do we need to find a seat at their table, but we can also build our own tables. And I think both are equally important. And to find a seat at their table means that, yes, we need more Muslim creators, more Muslim consultants to be able to sit down, look at the scripts, look at the storyline and A-OK it. But then we also need to build our own table, just like Rami did, and bring on his own Muslim creators to have both sides working at the same time. And I think we need both sides of the coin working at the same time. So, you know, it brought me to this. I had a past episode with Soha. She's incredible. I absolutely loved her and adored her. I had her on the podcast and she was somebody who was actually in the Spider-Man movie. She was just somebody who wore a hijab. She was on the school field trip with the main characters and everything like that. And she was seen in different scenes. And why I appreciated her role is because, again, they didn't use her as a villain and she was just a student. They allowed her to just be a student, not like, oh, she's Muslim. Let's play into that role. It was just she's a student. But the one thing that she did share with me that behind the scenes was when it came to wearing the hijab, her actual like clothing and whatnot, they did not know anything about that. And she's like, I actually had to be my own stylist. Like, And she's like, I'm grateful that they allowed me to do that. But she's like, it was also very like disappointing at the same time that they didn't have somebody that knew how to dress a Muslim woman. If like, you want me to wear the hijab, by the way, she doesn't wear the hijab in real life, but she's like, if you want me to wear it on screen, you should have somebody that is well-versed in how we look and what we wear. Because she's like, it was a two-piece. And she's like, you know, nobody wears two-piece these days. <laughs> and she's like, yeah. So she completely changed the whole outfit. And I'm like, I it was incredibly satisfying to see her on screen, but it's also unfortunate to see what had to happen behind the scenes in order for her to be portrayed the way that she was. Yeah, that's very common and something that uh, we've seen a lot of. And so actually in our blueprint and our recommendations, we also include actually sourcing Muslim vendors for that reason, um, whether it be for styling, for providing proper meals, etc. We do have that. And also one really exciting announcement that I can share with you today is that Pillars Fund is exclusive. It is an exclusive. (laughs) Pillars Fund is working with Disney to actually launch a Muslim database of creators that will be made public in the fall. And what that's going to allow us to do is to have anybody who is a Muslim creator, whether you're a writer, an actor, a director, 
director, a showrunner, a costume designer, a stylist, etc., to upload your information so that it's really easy for Disney and other studios and companies to find their next Muslim collaborator based on their need. I and mean, we're going to be able to have you optionally, this is obviously all optional, but you can share your ethnic background, your race, ba- racial background, your uh, spoken languages, whether you identify as having a disability, etc. So that um, if they are looking for someone very specific, that they can actually filter and find the person that meets all of those layers. We're really excited about it. And I hope that anyone who's listening that feels like that that might be for them will keep an eye out for that in the fall. And how can they apply for this or how can they be a part of this? It'll actually be a little app on our website that allows you to sign up and uh, plug in your information. So it'll be open to anybody who would like to sign up. We'll launch it in the fall and it, and there'll be a, an open source uh, sort of database that will allow people to find their next Muslim collaborator. This is incredible. Everything that's coming out of just having this conversation and, and providing the, the research and everything like that. So it's like, I'm very, very hopeful. And like, speaking of like just Superman or Spider-Man, all these movies, like, let's talk about, I know you've seen the outline. Let's talk about the Muslim Avengers, which is your team, mashallah, which is incredible. And many other organizations, as well as Riz Ahmed. Like, this is what sparked this conversation. I'm really excited to hear more about this. Let's talk about what's been in the works and how long it's been in the works. And what can we expect and anticipate from this beautiful and incredible initiative that we really, really need, especially in our Muslim community? Yeah, this is this is really exciting. And it's it's so exciting to finally be able to like discuss it publicly because it's been in the works for literal years. So again, I do have to give props and real credit to our friend Riz Ahmed, who years ago actually spoke to Ford Foundation and said, we need data on Muslims. We need research on Muslim representation in media. It does not exist in the in the quantitative form yet. And so he worked with Ford Foundation and Ford Foundation actually funded the majority of the USC Annenberg Inclusion Initiative. They brought us in. They said, you know, we need a partner who is a community-based organization that really deeply understands uh, the community's needs, is embedded in the community and has worked with the community in a wider way. So we were really privileged to be brought into the fold and and lead on this process of not just the research itself, but also what we could do as solutions to the research, the problems that it found. And then also we asked ourselves, what can we as pillars launch as our own solution. So I already told you about the blueprint for Muslim inclusion, which has recommendations of what solutions could be for the industry. But we said, you know, we want to be a part of that solution too. I am so excited to share that Pillars is for the first time, not just giving grants to our civic entrepreneurs and our social entrepreneurs, but now we're giving grants to creative entrepreneurs. So we're moving away from this idea of, you know, funding one project or two projects a year to saying, what would it look like if we actually invested in people and their potential as artists and storytellers in order to build the bench of the next great storytelling generation of Muslims in the United States and the UK? I'm so excited about this. It's going to be called the Pillars Artist Fellowship. We'll be offering seven to 10 grants in our pilot year, which will be opening in the next four to six weeks. Uh, So you can't apply yet. I know a lot of people are asking questions about how do I apply? How do I get nominated? That information is coming, I promise. But what that will do is a few things. It's going to first offer a $25,000 grant. What is really important to say about this grant is that we push really hard to make it an unrestricted grant. That means that you can use it for anything you want. It does not have to go towards a certain project. And the reason that we want to do that is because many people don't know this, but in the United States and the UK, Muslims are the most likely faith community to live in poverty. In the UK, over 50% of Muslims live below the poverty line. And what that means, Dunya, is that a lot of people who could be great storytellers don't actually have the privilege to choose storytelling as a vocation. So we want to give people the opportunity to say, hey, we want you to learn a lot from this you know, incredible program, but we also want you to be able to pay your rent while you do it. We also want you to have the space to say, I'm going to maybe drop my third job and only work two so that I can have more space to finish my screenplay, whatever it is. So these directors 
and these writers, which is the the first pilot program that we're going to be doing this year, are going to have not only the $25,000 in grants, but they're going to have an industry mentor. That industry mentor will be sourced from major companies and be someone who is an executive that really understands the business side of things that can help them hone a pitch or understand um, how to take a general meeting in a way that really dazzles and makes an impression, etc. But the really exciting part is what you were referring to as the Muslim Avengers. (laughs) I I don't even know. I'm going to be honest with you. That is something that Riz calls them. He calls them the Muslim Avengers. And I love it so much, but I'm like a little scared because I'm like, trademarked, you know, let's but like, yeah, let's it. go for it until we're told we can't anymore. Yes. But um, the Muslim Avengers <laughs> is our group of advisory committee members that will be also mentoring, advising and championing our seven to 10 fellows in our pilot year. The Muslim Avengers have never come together before. It's the first time that the most trailblazing leaders in Muslim communities in the arts have come together to say, we want to uplift a community that we are a part of. We, we know that we, quote unquote, have made it, but that we haven't made it until everyone can. And so they're extending a hand down and saying, we want to take you with us. So our Muslim Avengers are the most incredible group. And they include, of course, Riz Ahmed, who is... Oscar nominated, Emmy winning, Mahershala Ali. He's incredible. Multiple Oscar wins. He is. Sena Amanet, who is the creator of Miss Marvel. Kareem Ahmed, who is an incredible documentarian, also an Oscar nominee. Rosa Attab, she's an incredible producer. Lena Khan, the first hijabi woman to direct a feature film for Disney. Nida Mansour, who I mentioned earlier, she is uh, the creator of We Are Lady Parts on Peacock. Hassan Minhaj, who we all know from Patriot Act and The Daily Show. Jihan Nujaim, also an incredible documentarian that works a lot with Kareem, actually, and Rami Youssef. We are so excited that these people are have come together to say, we want to be a part of this. We want to extend a hand to lift others up. And it's just going to be so incredible. Our fellows are going to ha- are going to receive fireside chats and intimate conversations with these folks. And part of the reason we, we thought that was important to do is because another issue we found in our landscape analysis when we were trying to figure out how do we solve this problem is we heard from many, many emerging Muslim artists that finding mentorship of someone who has been through what they've been through is just so hard because we basically got almost every single Muslim in Hollywood to be yeah. part of this. <laughs> but that's 10 people. It's 10 people. And so it's very difficult to find a Muslim person who has said, you know, I understand your specific challenges. I understand your specific questions and I understand how to negotiate those things. So we're really, really excited to have them championing this group. I think it's honestly so incredible. Just even our day-to-day jobs, like networking was always something that I never even thought of about as a Muslim person because we know yeah. how ne- those networking things happen. And stuff. But imagine now you have a whole set of incredible mentors who have been in this business that don't want, like I said, that don't want to just be the exception to the rule they want to see more Muslims on screen. And, you know, when it comes to these grants, you mentioned such a great point about poverty and whatnot. Casting directors, they need headshots. They need you to come mm-hmm. to the auditions. All that stuff is very costly. And not everybody can just, you know, drop their job right on the fly and just go ahead and go to these casting calls. So it's incredible that you guys are providing a grant for them to be able to use in any which way that they see fit. And I think it's incredible because, you know, we do tend to look at more like funding projects. But what about actually investing in us, investing in the actual person in this community that's represent our community in whichever way that they see fit. And I think it's so incredible that you guys are doing that. You know, the only thing that I think is less valued than art in this country is the artists themselves. Yes. <laughs> so I think, yes. so I think the, the thing that is so exciting and the, the reason I am like obsessed with my baby, I know it's my baby, so I'm biased, <laughs> but the reason I'm obsessed with my baby is because it's a model that trusts artists to do what they want with their lives and what they think is best with their resources. And I just really believe that if we trust artists, we will continue to see the fruits of that for generations to come. It's basically you guys are allowing the artists to lead their passions and lead the way for once instead of them being told what to do, how to be. And and then we kind of go back to the negative stereotypes, like allow us to be who we are and let us portray ourselves. And guess what? We also happen to be Muslim, which is also an added bonus, Mm -hmm. which is incredible. How do you feel like this coalition and this initiative is going to uproot these biases? And I know everything is starting to kind of come together right now and everything's starting to stick and it's incredible to witness this. And you're probably obviously witnessing more behind the scenes, but what are you most excited for because of this coalition, because of this initiative? What I'm most excited for 
is that it's it's actually interesting. I think that we've always had the sauce, right? We've always had the spice and we've always had the talent. What I'm excited about is now Hollywood is paying attention. And what that means is that they have the opportunity. I'm excited for them. They have the opportunity to get some great new stories, to uplift the wonderful talent that has already existed in our communities. We're not creating new talent. We're just giving it a chance to be seen so that Hollywood has the opportunity. They're the ones that are winning. And I think that's important for us to remember is that we're not begging to be let in. We're not knocking on the door. We're saying, you check us out. Welcome to like this incredible world that you have completely looked over and underutilized and dismissed for so long we're inviting you in, like get with the program or don't. That is what I feel the most excited about is I think for the first time, Hollywood is seeing that this is their opportunity, not ours. Honestly, I love it. Like mic drop, here we are. Look what we're offering to you. Like you guys are even lucky to even be able to like work with us. And that's incredible. And we need to have that attitude, honestly, because I see so many people even on social media that they're sitting on so many incredible talents and it shouldn't just be limited to just being shared on social media. Like the world needs to see our, Michelle, incredibly talented Muslim communities. Like obviously there's so many different variations of Muslims and cultures and backgrounds and whatnot. I I just really want to thank you at age for this conversation. I learned so much from you. I always learn from you. I think you're incredible. The organizations you work with and for are incredible. And I'm always excited to just whenever Pillars post something, I know it's just something incredible that they're working on. I just want to know, how can we as a community help? Like, what can we do in a day-to-day basis or just overall, like, how can we even support this initiative? I know you guys already have the ball rolling, but obviously as a community, we want to see others thrive. And I think it always takes a village in order for us to all succeed, mashallah, or at least for one of us to succeed. So what can we do that can benefit this initiative? Well, first of all, thank you so much for your kind words, Dunya. You know, I'm like such a fangirl of you. And I think that uh, you just facilitate really powerful conversations. So it's an honor. Yeah, I mean, it's an honor just to be in conversation with you. I think there are so many things that we can do as a community. The first is if you want to support this initiative specifically, please spread the word. Um, We've got, you know, posts on Pillar's social media that you can repost, share, tell your friends about. Perhaps it'll reach someone who is an emerging storyteller that can be nominated or be part of this work. And so please spread the word. And if you spread the word, that might give an opportunity for an emerging artist who doesn't know about Pillars yet to understand the support that they might be able to to receive from Pillars. Um, The second piece is share the research. Uh, We want people to be really aware of this. And I think the research is really strong. You can access the research on our website. And I would also say like the last piece is we need to do a better job as a community of supporting our artists. I think it's okay and healthy and good to have critical conversation about the art that we see. It's literally my job. So, you know, I understand like being a cultural critic, whether you're a casual one or a professional one is important. It's, it's why art is an engine for social change. It's why art can actually change hearts and minds because we have, they spark these really in-depth, juicy conversations that we might not have otherwise in our day-to-day lives. So I encourage you to keep doing that. But I also hope that you will like Get out there to see the movies that our communities make. I hope that you will get out there to buy tickets for the the pieces that our allied communities and overlapping communities make. We need to show up for ourselves. If we don't show up for ourselves, no one's going to show up for us. It has to start with us. So please make a commitment to support artists with your dollar. I think that's incredibly important. And I would say the last piece is um, you can learn a lot more about Pillars Fund and the initiatives we're taking and announcements about when the nomination window opens for this fellowship by signing up for our mailing list. Um, You can do so on our website. That's pillarsfund.org. You'll receive not too many, but just the right amount of updates from us (laughs) that that I think will keep you really uh, up to date on our initiatives and what we're doing moving forward. These conversations are happening regardless. So why not join the conversation? I think that's how I see it. Why not? If you have something to say, speak up, voice your concerns, voice your opinions. It was on Clubhouse that there was a room being held just talking about like Muslims being depicted in media and whatnot. And they were brought up shows like Rami, Helen, and they had their critiques and then they also had their positive feedback. And it was so interesting because the creator of Hela was actually in the room and her name is Minhal and she was just so incredibly easy to talk to. And it was just so nice to be able to see your everyday Muslims just talking to the creator of Hela and 
they thought of the movie and her basically her feedback and how she created it and everything like that just to be able to talk to these incredible incredible Muslim creators who are you know they're trying their best to pave the way and again you're not going to see yourself in every movie and every show but this is why what you're working on at age is so needed so that we can have a plethora of options a plethora of movies and shows and series for us to be able to see ourselves we can't put the entire responsibility on creators like Minhal and Rami for them to portray every single Muslim you said it yourself there's 1.8 billion Muslims there's absolutely no way every single Muslim is the same way and I I always say this in every podcast I used to say Muslim community and I still sometimes say Muslim community but it should be Muslim communities because there's so many different variations so I just want to commend these creators I want to commend these writers I want to commend people like you because you guys are doing all the hard work so let's join the conversation let's create our own tables let's also find a seat at other tables as well and I really hope this conversation can keep going do you have any other lasting words um, at age Um, because again this was such a powerful conversation and I really hope this isn't the last time that we hear from you or again about Muslim representation or the lack thereof but I really have high hopes so I think we're going to start dropping or the lack thereof and it's going to continue being Muslim representation inshallah 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 thank you so much I you know I just again want to express gratitude for this opportunity to chat and to say like to all of your listeners like I believe in the story inside you and I hope that you are willing to tell it in a way that invites people to check you out rather than let you in. I think my lasting words are a couple things. First, I also really want to commend the artists in our communities because I actually feel like we do something pretty unique in Muslim communities, which you kind of alluded to, Danya, which is that artists are so willing to communicate with our communities about their art. I want to give a plug for a series that Pillars did over the pandemic called Pillars Pop-Up Conversations, which you can also check out on our website, where we did do a series with artists and Q&As about their art with communities. And so if you're interested in, in hearing more from our artists themselves, including folks like Rami and other creators on his show, like Amir Suleiman and Meita Al-Hassan, who are both writers there, they did an incredible job engaging with difficult work. They did an incredible job engaging with challenging questions. And they were so excited and willing to do it. So like Dunya said, I encourage you to keep asking questions, keep being generous in the way that you do it and keep an open mind. And lastly, I will just say that, you know, as someone who cares so much about supporting storytellers to anyone who's listening, I believe in the story inside of you. And I hope that this encourages you to tell that story in a way that invites people to check you out rather than asking to be let in. You don't need to be let in. They need to check you out. I'm excited to see what comes from this community and these communities. Thank you so much, Adige. I know you're very humble and, and mashallah, like you're very incredibly like such a hard worker and you do so much behind the scenes. So I really just want to like hand you your roses, your bouquet of flowers, because you truly deserve it for having this conversation with me. And I really can't thank you enough for holding these conversations, for holding a place for Muslim communities, for uplifting our voices, for always believing in the community that you come from, for doing the hard work for us. I think it's cr- incredibly important and inshallah, we can continue to have these conversations going. Your lasting words were really, really touching. Like that is a huge superpower in itself to believe in yourself, but to also have a community that believes in you. And I think we can continue to just be there for one another and continue to uplift one another and support one another and not just support one one another when we're receiving the Golden Globes and the Emmy Awards and stuff like that, but in the process, because these creators are doing a lot of heavy, heavy lifting when it comes to sharing stories and even getting their foot in the door. So I just hope that this is something that we can continue to just work on, be there for one another, work hard on this and inshallah ya Rab, that you can only continue succeeding from here on out at age so thank you so much for joining me on this conversation and i'm just so excited to see what else is going to come out of you and the organizations you work with um, and i think the work that you've you're doing already is just so impactful and so powerful so thank you so much at age thank you so much Jenya. and as you know like anything that i do is has a hundred other people with me and it is just such a team and community effort and so I really want to thank everyone that has been involved with this for the last two years I'm so grateful for how generously you see me I think that's an incredibly generous (laughs) generous way to see me but I'm I'm really humbled by it and I would be like truly nothing without our communities so thank you and all of you uh, for supporting the work that we do thank you Eddie 